You're listening to the podcast of Antioch East Baptist Church in Magnolia, Arkansas. This is Pastor Ron Owen. We're so glad that you've joined us today. If you have any comments or inquiries, you can send those to us at aebc123 at me.com. Today I'm going to be preaching a sermon. And I want everybody to have the mind that we want to know what God's Word says. Is that true? I hear preachers all the time. I mean, I don't know of a preacher I know of. I don't get up and holler and scream and jump around the pulpit and talk about how they preach the whole counsel of God. And yet they'll come to a chapter like chapter 9 and skip through it like it's hot coals and won't explain it. And I want you, if you would, let's read the scriptures and we'll get into it. This is, by the way, part two of a sermon I started last week. Let's stand together and read in Romans 9. And uh, Paul, in verses 1 through 5, is sorrowful over the Israelites not coming to Jesus, not believing in Jesus as the Messiah, right? And in verse 6, though, he begins to explain why they're not. But it is not that the word of God has taken none of no effect. In other words, it's not the failure of God. Amen. Say amen. It is not the failure of God. For they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Oh. Nor are they all children because they are of the seed of Abraham. And he quotes, but in Isaac your seed shall be called. That's what God said. That was his promise. In Isaac the seed shall be called. Not in Ishmael. Verse 8, that is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. Just because you are of the seed of Abraham does not mean you are a child of, and this is the ultimate goal, of God. Notice how he throws that in there. He's not talking about physical descendants necessarily. He's talking about spiritual descendants. And the children of promise are counted as the seed. In other words, it doesn't come by genealogy or genetics. It's a spiritual thing. You don't get born into the kingdom uh, by uh, pregnancy. You get born in the kingdom by promise. Verse 9, for this is the word of promise at this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also was conceived by one man, even by her father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, the twins that were born from her, not having done good or evil, that the promise of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. That is our text verse today. Let me read that again. For the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Now, these are not our text verses, but I want to read just a couple more verses. Verse 14, what shall we say then? I mean, what are you going to say about these things? And here's the question that everybody asks. Is that fair? Wait a minute. Is that fair? 
That's what he says there. Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then, now listen, it is not of him who wills, nor of him, the human being who runs, but of God who shows mercy. Now, if you believe that to be the word of God, you must rejoice. I do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, bless today as we cover this very, uh, a lot of people say it's hard to understand. I don't think it's hard to understand at all, Lord. I think it's just hard to accept, hard to receive sometimes. But Lord, we thank you for your sovereignty. We thank you that in your mercy and your grace, you overcame our flesh and saved us that have believed. God, today, call sinners to repentance. Give us souls for our preaching and our singing and our labor and our prayers. Oh, God, save sinners. I pray today that we'd see the fruit of your election, the cry of faith and repentance. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. The title of our message is Distinguishing Grace. Distinguishing Grace or if you would rather, sovereign election. And the, the reason I want to put that in there is because that's the very word God uses in this, is that it's according to election. Now, we've already covered this point. We see in these verses, a not a, but some surprising exclamations. He said, number one, they are not all Israel who are of Israel. What? Just because they're Israel doesn't mean that they're really Israel. And verse 7, nor are they the children because they are the seed of Abraham. Just because they came from the physical, biological lineage of Abraham does not make them Jews. Well, isn't that interesting? No, the people who ultimately are going to receive the promise and become, now listen, the children of God are the ones who receive the promise from God which is another way of saying the ones whom God chooses. And then we talked about the distinguishing grace. In verse 7 it says, For they are all children, but they are not all children because they're the seed of Abraham. But on the other side, but in Isaac your seed shall be called. Abraham had two sons. Ishmael he rejected. He chose Isaac. We said, well, well, of course, because that wasn't from Sarah. Okay, well, then Jacob had a wife. I mean, these are the clear descendants, both of them. She had twins. Look at verse 8. Those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. And then he says this shocking statement, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. And uh, I, I see preachers do some ling, uh, you try to do some twisting around that word hate. And I looked it up. You know what the word hate there means? Hate. That's what it means. Let me tell you something. God has always hated evil and wickedness and sin. And before you come to Christ, that's all you are. It is gracious that God, a holy God, came to you in your enmity with him and he saved you. You didn't come to God. You ran as fast away from him as you could. And he captured you in his grace and his mercy. 
Secondly, we talked about scriptural exposition. And I showed you that what Paul is doing here is what Brother On tries to do every Sunday. He takes the word of God and explains it. He just says, this is what it says. I'm not telling you something new. This is the way it's always been. So he gave an exposition on Isaac and an exposition on Jacob. And that brings us to our third point. We have a surprising exclamation. We have a scriptural exposition. And then we have today sovereign election, or if you will, distinguishing grace. Number one, I want to, and the reason we use this, look at verse 11. For the children not yet being born, they were just kitties in the womb. They hadn't been born, but the Bible says they had done no good or evil. It wasn't because God saw that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand. Now, that's the word. It is the word eklage, and this is what it means. I've got an extended definition I got from Thayer's, which I like. The act of picking out, choosing, used of that act of God's free will by which before the foundation of the world he declared he decreed his blessings on certain persons and de- and decree made from choice particularly that by which he determined to bless certain persons through Christ according to an election which is due to grace and of a gracious election the word is very simple. It means to pick out for oneself. To pick out for oneself. J.I. Packer says this, and I got this this week. I just happened to see it, and it fit perfectly with my sermon. People treat God's sovereignty, and he's talking about in particular God's sovereignty and man's salvation. People treat God's sovereignty as a matter of controversy. But in Scripture... It is always a matter of worship. So if the doctrine of election and predestination and all those scary things that you were made to be scared of when you were growing up gives you, if you wish I would just skip chapter 9, let me tell you something, you don't understand it because the Bible tells us that these things are a matter of worship. Worship. A few of us are convinced God's sovereignty and man's salvation is not a point of doctrinal or theological study for the serious seminarian. It is a subject of encouragement and strength that God graciously reveals to us for our holiness, our rest, and our worship. I have never had a doctrine that has given me more rest from my angst of ministry than the doctrine of election. I tell you what, you come up here and preach Sunday after Sunday after Sunday looking into faces of people you know are on a road to hell. And you preach with all your heart and you give the gospel and they leave without Christ. Where would you go for rest? Jesus And Paul both went to the sovereignty of God for rest. Paul's intent in in, in writing Romans chapter 9 is a loving thing. He wants them to be encouraged. He wants to give them strength in the face of opposition and persecution. 
And he wrote this out of love. This is not a theological treatise, although it's a theological treatise. It's a letter of love that he wrote to these people. Matter of fact, in Romans 1, 9, back at our very beginning, it says, For God is my witness, Paul said, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayer, making request, if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. So remember when we're reading chapters 9, 10, and 11 that Paul is writing to be an encouragement to the believers at Rome. Okay? Now, first of all, number one, if you're taking out notes, which I wish you would do on the back of your bulletin, number one, we have the definition of election. Number two, the details of election. The details of election in verse 11. First of all, we see the timing of God's choosing. The timing of his choosing. The children, now he says, not yet being born, right? What does that mean? That means that God chose his people. He chose Isaac. He chose Jacob. And then all through history, God has chosen those to be his. He did it before you were born. I mean, that's the point he's making. Well, you say, Brother On, when, when before we were born? Well, I don't know, before we were born. I have a couple of ideas. Let me read them to you. Stay awake, everybody. Come on, I want you to hear this. Ephesians 1, 4, just as he chose us in him, just as he chose us in him before, listen, the foundation of the world. My friend, you did not get saved I did not get saved March 3rd, 1976. In actuality, I saved before time began. Because if it's in the mind of God, guess what? It's going to happen, right? And then 2 Thessalonians 2.13 says, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation. God from the beginning. What beginning? I don't know. At the very beginning. Whatever he's talking about, I think probably the same thing as a vision before the world began. God chose you for salvation. I didn't say that. God said it. The Word of God said that. Because God, from the beginning, chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Secondly, first of all, we see the timing. Second, here's your second point under this uh, point. We see what the grounds of election is not. First of all, he tells us what it is not. The grounds of election is not by good works. It is not by any merit God saw in you. Nor having done good or evil. He chose them before they could make a choice themselves. He chose them before they could sin. He chose them before they could make righteousness. And then he says plainly, not of works. My friend, if you're here today, you believe you're going to heaven because you're a good person. You are not. You are not going to heaven because of your good works. 
My friend, the standard is severely high. Perfection. And there's not a human being that's ever done it or ever will. So it's not of works. 2 Timothy 1.9, very important verse. Who has saved us, talking about God, and called us with a holy calling. What is that? It's election. It's the, it's the end of election where he calls us. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. There you go. The third time he has said that. So we see what it is not. We see that the ground of election is not merit. It is not good works. But thirdly, we see what the grounds of election is. Now, please listen to me. I am not saying anything outside of these scriptures. Number one, your choice. You cannot deny the verse says that, th that Jacob was chosen over Esau before he was born, not because of any merit or works. But look at this. On the basis, here is the reason he was chosen. Here's the reason you were chosen. The purpose of God. You know what people say, and the, and the argument is, you know, that, that uh, election is according to God's foreknowledge. I've already preached on it. You had to go back and listen to that. But foreknowledge does not mean foreseen faith. And besides that, where does the Bible say that God foresees what we will do? It doesn't say that. You're assuming that's what it means. You know what I assume because of verses like this? That God foresaw what he would do. That makes more sense. Because he says that all these times, it's because of the purpose of God. Well, I think that man, it's because of man's free will. We want to trump up man's free will, which, by the way, is not taught in the Bible. Man's free will, man's free will, man's free will. What about God's free will? What about a sovereign God's free will? My friend, you can't have a free will because you're in the bondage of your sin and depravity. You're under the bondage of sin and depravity. How can you? Your will is affected by your wickedness. But God is not. And God is God. And it's because of his purpose that he calls his people. Ephesians 1, 4, just as he chose us in him. And we go down to verse 5. Having predestined us to the adoption of sons by Jesus Christ to himself. Listen. According to what? The good pleasure of his will now which is it I mean if you're going to find foreknowledge as God foresaw what you would do then this verse contradicts it because this verse says that we are chosen according to just his good pleasure just because he wanted to not because of foreseen faith, not because of foreseen merit, just because he wanted to. Look at verse 11. I think this verse settles all of it. I, I, I think it should, but it doesn't for some people's minds. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined, listen, according to the purpose of him who works how many things? All things according to what? The counsel of his will. Argument settled, folks. He works all things. You say, Brother Ron, why, why am I saved? It was God's will. 
It was God's will. 2 Timothy 1, 9 again, listen, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own pleasure and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Listen, and these are, I'm just giving you three for time's sake. I got to go on. God saves because he wants to. And we read it and I'll get to it and I can't wait next week to talk about the verse that says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And then then Paul will set up this argument that people have just like people argue when they talk to me about election. Well, then are we just robots? Then It's just robots. We're just robots and it's fatalism and and, uh, why does he still find fault if he didn't like that I'm the way I am? Why does he find fault if it's according to his will? And you know what Paul says? You ought to shut up. That's, That's basically his answer. He says, does not the potter have power of the clay of the same lump to make one vessel of honor and one to dishonor. I know it's hard, to, it's hard to eat. It's hard to take. But I'm telling you, it's what God said. It's what he says. It's not a bad thing. You say, but God, are you telling me that, that uh, God, God doesn't choose some to go to heaven? Of course he doesn't. He said, well, I can't, I can't handle that. That's not fair. You want fair you want fair. You want fair. You want to, God wants fair. Let, let's let God have what's fair to him. You know what's fair to God? To destroy every one of us and send us all to hell. That would be fair. But he gave all men a choice. That's true. I mean, that, we believe that. All men can come to Christ if they want to. The bad thing is they won't. The carnal mind is enmity with God. It is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. You don't want God in your own natural state. But God pleads with you and he he sends witnesses to you. And then God says, I'm going to save some for my glory. Is there anything wrong with that? Absolutely not. If God were to only save one human being out of all of human beings that have ever been born, you know what he'd be? Infinitely gracious infinitely gracious he also says it's on the basis of him who calls now we've already preached on this subject you go back and look at it him who calls but again 2 Timothy 1 9 he says who saved us and called us with a holy calling this is not the call I'm going to invite everybody in this room before it's over with to come to Jesus I'm going to ask you to place your faith in Christ. Turn from your sin and turn to God in faith. Every one of you. And if you do that, guess what? You're elect. You're saved. You're born again. Whoever comes to him by faith is saved. Amen? Amen. If you come to Jesus today, it's because of what we call the effectual call of God. Not everybody gets this call. This is a special holy call. You say, Brother Ron, really? God calls people differently? Yes, he calls his elect in a different way. He gives them a call that will not be denied. You say, prove it. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. And whom he predestinated, these he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. Is everybody justified? No. So that means this call is a special call. It is a a call. It is the end result of God's elective purposes that he planned before time began. 
Oh, have you ever thought about this? You sing it all the time. Oh, happy day. Now listen, what's the next phrase? That fixed my choice. On thee, my Savior and my God, well, may this glowing heart rejoice and tell its raptures all abroad. Happy day, happy day when Jesus washed my sins away. He taught me how to watch and pray and live rejoicing every day. Happy day when Jesus washed my sins away. Uh, some of you, I'm not going to get to move unless I dance. You want me to dance? Is that what you... Hallelujah, he saves. Listen to Romans 8.30. Moreover, whom he called, he predestined, these he called, whom he called, he justified, whom he justified, these he also glorified. Every one of these processes in the life of the Christian will happen, praise God. Now, we've seen the definition of election. We've seen the details of election. And now I want you to notice the, uh, the uh, excuse me, the defense of election in chapter 9. That's all chapter 9 is about. Now, the purpose is that God is showing who is really Israelites, the real ones, not just because they were born of Abraham, not their biological lineage. No, it is a thing of promise, and it's spiritual. Now, I want you to, I'm going to read these quickly. We've got to go quickly. I'm going to get this all in today. Look at chapter 9, verse 7. Look at verse 7. Nor are they all children because they are of the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac your seed shall be called. Hey, do y'all know who said that? In Isaac your seed shall be called? Anybody know who said that? God. And guess what's not in that sentence? A question mark. It's a command. He said, Abraham, I don't care what you do. You can go off the handle. You can turn your back on me. I don't care what you do. I, when I come back, Isaac, Sarah's son, she's going to have him at 90 years old. That's who's going to receive my promises. And then he says in verse 8, that is those who are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. That's what God said. Only those who receive the promise or the call or the election. That's all the same thing. These are the ones that are counted as the seeds of not Abraham, God. God. Verse 8. Uh, now let me ask you this. Who gives the promise? God. Who gets the promise? Whoever God chooses. Will God rescind the promise? No. Never. Hallelujah. Everybody should have shouted and ran around the building after I said that. Verse 9 says, and this is the word of promise. This is the oracle of God. This is what he says. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. In other words, nine months from the time he was talking to Abraham, I believe it was, within the year, he said, Abraham, Sarah's going to have a child. And you can do whatever you want. You can go back to Ur. You can jump in the sea. I don't care. And, uh, and Sarah can do whatever she wants to. But I'm telling you, at the end of this nine months, she's going to be uh, delivering a child. You better have someone here to catch him. I mean, this was a due date you didn't have to wonder about. And then look at verse 11. For the children not yet being born or having done any good or evil. Now listen, that the purpose of God according to election. I didn't say that. Don't get mad at me. I didn't say it. God said it. By his own sovereign choice, it says there, election might stand not of works, but of him who calls. Verse 13, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. He said this about them before they were born. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will. 
have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. In other words, if you see God letting some man live in his own state by his own choice and go on to hell, don't get mad at God. God can do whatever he wants to. He's the one that's all righteous. You're the one that's all sinful. Therefore, he has the right to do with you as he pleases. Verse 16, so then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. What is not? Salvation. Verse 18, therefore he has mercy on whom he wills. Now listen, and whom he wills, he hardens. Hmm, that's a tough one. I can't wait to get to it. We'll unravel it. Let me ask you, who deserves mercy? Who deserves mercy? Listen, if you start saying deserve, guess what? You're not going to get mercy. Why? Because it's not mercy. That means you owe, you're all owed it. And if you're owed it, you don't have to have mercy. You've gained it. Now, my friend, mercy means that it's something God, somebody gives of their free will and you don't deserve it, but they gave it to you anyway. Now, let me tell you something. If they didn't give it to you, they wouldn't be unrighteous. They can do what they want to. It's theirs. It's theirs. That's the problem with America. Shall I get on this? You made all that money. Now give me some. And the government said, yeah, we're going to make you give them some. Thieves. Thieves. It's my money to do what I want to. I made it. Is that not fair? Okay, all the Democrats say no. All right. It's not fair to take away what someone's rightfully earned and give it to someone else. It's not fair. And if I don't want to give it to someone else, you can say, well, you're heartless. No, I'm not. I worked for that. I just, I, here in this instance, it's true. I deserved it. Blood, sweat, and tears. I paid for it. I deserve it. Now, we ought to be merciful like God is merciful. Anyway, I didn't mean to get on that. Let me go on. He, uh, uh, so the, verse 16, so there is not of him who wills, but him who runs, but God who shows mercy. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills, he will harden, verse 18 says. Verse 23, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory. What in the world does that mean? If you cannot understand sovereign election. It means nothing. Verse 24, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, hallelujah, but of the Gentiles also. Isaiah also cries, verse 7, he says, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea. Now listen, the, the definite article, remnant, will be saved. Only the select number will be saved. For he will finish the work. Look at this. Uh, verse 2 of 11. Let's go on into 11. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. And down in verse 4 it says, uh, But what does the divine response say to him? What does God say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In other words, uh, Elijah was complaining he was the only one to love God. He said, I, Elijah, you're not the only one. I have my people. I've reserved for me all these people. Verse 5, even so then at this present time, there is a remnant. There is a remnant according to what? The election of what? 
unmerited favor. Unmerited. What does unmerited mean? It means unmerited. You didn't work for it. You didn't do anything to receive it. It was given to you freely. It is gracious. God's election is according to his unmerited favor. What then, verse 7 says, end of question. That's the end of the question. That's all the question he gives there. What then? We've heard all these things I just read to you. He says, what then? And here's the answer. Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. We'll explain that when we get to verse 28. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. Election, 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 election. There it is, about five or six times right there in those verses. And yet some of you probably never heard it in the context of a church service in years or maybe ever. This is a glorious doctrine that we all must strive to understand, even if we don't agree totally. It's got to be something that we raise our hands and say, Glory to God, hallelujah. Now, I'm finishing up here. Stay with me. Here's my conclusion. Let me ask you this. Do you appreciate the doctrine of election or distinguishing grace? Now, some of you here may not even know what I'm talking about. Some know. You know the, some of you have been around know the arguments that have gone back and forth. And I hear preachers all the time, nobody's ever going to settle this. God did. It's in his word. Read the Bible. And because of that, we've shied away from the doctrine. Do you know this? I'm getting ahead of myself. That... The word elect, the word eklegomai, is the third most often used word to describe the believer in the Bible. On, on beat out by saint and disciple. Now, I guarantee you, if, if you would tell me the truth, some of you say, you know, I just never really heard anything about it when I was growing up. How in the world can you skip a, how many sermons you ever heard on being a Christian? Oh my goodness, every Sunday we talk about Christian. You know the word Christian's only in the Bible three times? But the Bible calls you elect of God, chosen of God, over 60 times. And it's on every page of the New Testament and most every page of the Old Testament. I guarantee you, I could find it on every page of the New Testament. Don't tell me you preach the whole counsel of God, preacher. If you don't appreciate it, why? If not, why? Why don't you appreciate it? I didn't say elect. The practical fruits of distinguishing grace. You say, Brother Ron, why is it important? Let me give you a few things. Number one, if you believe in sovereign election, you know what it does? It destroys pride in you. And any doctrine that does that is not a bad doctrine. It takes away and strips away everything you can say. I listen, I've told you about the, 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 the record I listen to, and every time I hear it, I cringe. And God says, Thank God I was smart enough one day to call Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. I'm so sorry you dumb people are going to go to hell. Us dumb people are going to go to hell. Smart enough, that means you earned it. It's not a grace, it's by smarts. No, my friend. The Bible said, how much glory does God get for your salvation? What does the Bible say? But this is what you have to say if you believe that election, your salvation is up to your free will. This is what you have to say. God voted for me, the devil voted against me, and I was sovereign in my salvation. It didn't matter what God did. It didn't matter what the devil did. What matters is what I do. 
That's blasphemous. That's blasphemous. No, my friend, it is God's grace and he gets all the glory. And just like Jonah said of old, salvation is of the Lord. And when you understand this, it will take away your pride and it will make you humble. And you will fall on your face saying, God, you did it, you did it, you did it. Thank you, God, for saving a wretch like me. And number one, as I just showed you, it promotes worship. Worship. I mean, when you believe this, you really believe God deserves all the worship for it. And you give him all the praise. You deserve every bit of it. Number three, it gives you confidence in evangelism. Because this is one of the arguments against this doctrine is, well, it kills evangelism. Really? Paul was a pretty good evangelist, and he's the one who taught it. Do you know that every, every missionary, the, every, the first missionaries of the modern missionary movement believed this doctrine the way I do? William Carey, Adoniram Judson, uh, what's some others? Uh, uh, you can name all of them. You can name all of them. They believe this doctrine. Well, why did they evangelize? Because one thing God told them to. God tells you to evangelize. How should they hear without a preacher? You go tell them. And here's the thing that I get up every Sunday when I preach my heart out, the gospel, and invite people to come to Jesus, and I'll keep doing it till I die. And when they don't do it, it gives me some comfort to say, as Brother Joe Thomas used to come through the door every Sunday and tell me, when he knew I was disappointed when people didn't come, he'd lean over to me, put his arm around me, and said, you know God has to do it. And I hear these people all the time, well, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you, we're arguing these things about election, all this. we ought to be out winning souls. I always get up from my chair, I say, let's go, I'm willing, let's go. They never go with me. All the people ever argue about it, it kills evangelism, they never go evangelize. They've never witnessed anybody, some of them. But my friend, if you're a witness, the sovereignty of God and man's salvation is a comfort Arthur Pink said, what a lesson is this for every under-shepherd. Here is the true haven of rest for the heart of every Christian worker. Your message may be slighted by the crowd, and as you see how many there are who believe not, it may appear that our labor is in vain. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. Yes, that helps. And I tell you what, it gives you a deeper understanding of God's love, mercy, and grace. When you give him all the praise, honor, and glory and, and blame for it, it gives you a deeper understanding. Let me tell you something. When I was 19 years old, I was in my living room. A friend of mine had, had uh, confronted me with these issues. And I, I, was, I grew up in a church that hated, the, well, I didn't hate it, but didn't teach it. I was not taught anything about it. And then I had to go to Bible school where you had to deal with it. You saw that it was on every page of the Bible and you had to deal with it. And one day when I realized and finally said, this does not go against faith and this does not go against men's free will this does not this is the truth though i fell on my face in my room and i cried and i wept and i gave god the glory and all of a sudden when i understood sovereign election and man's salvation all the little links in the chain went clink all the questions i'd had all those years because i was a serious bible reader they all came right together You need to study and find out. And in this one sermon, sermon maybe. Now, I'll tell you what don't do. Don't go get on the Internet. 
Don't look up silly men. Read your Bible. Look at the verses that I gave you and then just read them and study them. Study chapter 9, 10, 11 of Romans. Study Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. Study John 10, John 6. Study 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 13. Study John 3. Go through John 3 and don't focus on John 3, 16, which we believe and I think is right. Focus on where it says the wind blow where it wishes and you hear the sound thereof, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. Amen. Charles Spurgeon, who believed in sovereign election just the way I do, said, I know nothing Nothing again that is more humbling for us than this doctrine of election. I have sometimes fallen prostrate, prostrate before it when endeavoring to understand it. I have stretched my wings and eagle like I have soared towards the sun. Steady has been my eye and true my wing for a season. But when I came near it and the one thought possessed me, God hath from the beginning chosen you unto salvation. I was lost in its luster. I was staggered with the mighty thought and from a dizzying, dizzying elevation down came my soul prostrate and broken saying Lord I am nothing I'm less than nothing why me why me that's what understanding the doctor of election will do for you make you love Jesus Jesus